Hello, everyone. Welcome to another wonderful episode of VR in Education. Today on the show, we have kind of a renaissance man or a jack of all trades, if you will. This particular gentleman wears many hats when it comes to technology and VR. Sam Woodard is currently working at a public middle school where he prototypes different kinds of technology and all sorts of activities. You'll, you'll hear from the interview that his focus has always been about how to maximize learning more, more importantly, how to make learning interactive and engaging. Sam has dabbled in VR for many years and is the architect of a very popular standalone VR lab which uses mostly Oculus Quest. So I'm excited to talk to him and I hope you enjoy this episode. So great to have you on the show, Sam. Yeah, it's great to be here. I always ask this question first to everyone on the podcast show, and that has to do with your origin story or what got you interested in VR? Yeah, so my my origin story is interesting because it really ties with my origin of why I'm interested in education and technology. Um, I've been, I started out 10 years ago with the goal of trying to figure out how to actually help students learn because it was a, a really interesting problem that I found was something that would take a lot of work to to solve. And I had a background in technology and a degree in engineering. Um, what I really wanted to do is first understand how to actually help students learn and how to teach. So I spent a few years teaching. Um, I taught internationally in Sierra Leone. I uh, taught at a low-income school in Seattle. Um, I taught middle school and high school math. And the whole time I was trying to figure out how can we really help students learn, including using technology, um, and then also developing some technology projects on the side. Um, that led me to starting my own EdTech startup, which was a math collaboration app um, that enabled students to work together um, on smartphones, learning math and, and understanding math. And around the time when that was ending was late 2015, early 2016. And that was around when VR first started um, becoming more accessible. And I'd been following it for a few years uh, with the original Oculus story. And in at the, around that time was when I first, probably the first VR I tried was Google Cardboard. Um, it was the uh, New York Times sent out the little Google Cardboards in the 360 videos. And so that was the first real experience I had with trying VR. Um, that one, it, it, with, with Google Cardboard, the, it, I think the quality and the, what you can see and do, and it makes it so that while it's kind of exciting when you first start, there isn't really much you can do. And so I tried it a few times and then, and then kind of moved on or left it behind. But it was really the Gear VR was the first time I actually started using or using a VR more consistently. And so that was an app called uh, Bait. Have you heard of Bait? I haven't. I've tried other fishing ones, but not not the particular one you're talking about. Yeah, so this is one of the very first, because this was back in 2016, so it was one of the very first VR apps. 
And uh, the reason it was really interesting was that you actually, you're basically just sitting next to a lake or a pond. There's a few different levels and you got to do the simple activity of fishing. So it just threw, it was kind of a cartoony art design and you threw out your, your reel and reeled it back in. And, uh, it was, and I really enjoyed it because it allowed you to feel like you're going somewhere else, even when, no matter where you were. And even though it was cartoony, it still gave you that, that immersion presence. And so that was when I first started kind of realizing that VR had something different around this feeling of immersion and being able to do things. Of course, it didn't even have a controller. Um, Hmm. all you did is tap the side of your head. Uh, and I think it had like two buttons on there and like one threw it out and one pulled the, the fish in. Um, Mm. and so that was the first kind of real VR I started doing. And then around then, uh, the Vive came out and that was also when my other startup was ending. So I, I got, I got a Vive and started playing around with it. Um, and that was the first real VR and like most, uh, active VR experiences I've done. Um, my favorite game was the longbow from the lab. I know you've, you've tried that. Yeah. Yes. I, again, one of my favorite too. And the, one of the reasons why I, I was blown away was the longbow. Cause, uh, I don't know if listeners know this, but in longbow, when you pull back the bow and arrow, you have a controller that kind of vibrates. So it actually feels like you're pulling back and there's tension there. Are you there? The audio seems to have cut out. I'm st- I'm still here. Yep. Okay. Sorry. The the audio cut out, but I'll I'll jump in. Um. So yeah. So after trying longbow, I uh that was the the main thing I would use my Vive for. I think I would use it now and then. Um. But the the main. But I found that beyond that, there wasn't really much content at the time. There was also tilt brush i i know you've you've talked about tilt brush right yes yeah so yeah so tilt brush was was one of those that was fun to try and it was a great demo for vr um but unless i think you naturally spend a lot of time doing art it doesn't have as much retention as some of the other ones mm. um and so uh doing all that in the vibe was my first real fourier into it um but i did find that after a few months i kind of stopped using my vive as much uh the big the big things with that was also the setup and the amount of how complicated it was which actually is important for what later is going to be um kind of trying to figure out how to do a vr lab which was the setup for the vive involves a lot of different components and pieces Um, i'm not sure if you've tried setting them up before i do i i own a vive and then at one of my old schools back in Canada, we had a, a VR lab. And so we had three Vives at that time. So setting up cameras, you have to plug them in. You have to have them sort of orchestrated so that they're sort of facing each other properly. What are some other setup things that sort of deterred you? Yeah, so I think that was, I mean, all of that. You needed the sensors you needed um, the 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 mapping of the boundaries, uh, 
at the time, so so especially now that we have the quest and how easy that is, the mapping of the boundaries is much more painful for for the Vive. Um, and then, but the main thing is just the number of wires and things that you need just to make it work. And then it didn't always work. There was definitely a lot of troubleshooting of all kinds to try to make my Vive work. So, tell me about your lab that you have at the middle school. So tell us a bit about that setup and even the, the trials and tribulations that you had to go through to get it to the point it's at now. Absolutely. So, so that was around 2016 that where we did the, the, or I did the Vive and kind of did that. And then from a VR perspective, I actually pretty much stopped using it. Um, and from an education perspective, what I was working on is I was looking to try to, um, find a school where I could uh, basically observe and help out in a classroom, specifically in math, because that's my area of interest. Um, and I found a, a middle school in a low-income area that um, has these great great math teachers, and I was able to, uh, they welcomed me, and I started working with them to try to figure out basically how can we build, like prototype and, and build out different apps. Specifically, that, that was for Chromebooks. Um, and for web apps uh, that would help kids learn. And through doing that, I, re- I met the tech teacher. And uh, at one point, I was we were talking about different technologies, and I told him about VR, and he hadn't really tried it much other than cardboard, which, um, I, as we were talking about, doesn't kind of give you the same experience that something like the Vive does. And so I brought my VR and, and eventually let him try a few things, but I eventually let him try the Vive, and he just was blown away. Um, he, he loves technology and he hadn't tried any love VR like that. And so it happened to be serendipitous that about a month later, the school had a grant for a science lab. It was for a wet lab with a bunch of science equipment. And the grant was kind of falling through. It was going to be too complicated to build. Uh, there was safety issues, a bunch of problems with building a wet lab in a middle school. And the tech teacher had this idea, which is why don't we, instead of having an actual lab, we can create a VR lab. And not only can kids do science, but we can actually make the lab for all the students in the school. Mm. And we ended up, and so we had this extremely fortunate situation that almost never happens in education, where the administrators were actually super supportive, combined with, we had a bunch of money, Um, to do something, and actually we had more money to do it than it would even cost. Uh, primarily, actually, because luckily v- VR labs, and, and we'll get to what the equipment is, are not as expensive as like building plumbing and electrical for an actual science lab. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so we, uh, we had this alignment where in the stat and the other teachers were on board, everyone was excited, and uh, we basically got the go-ahead to create a the the basically the the idea was now we could actually create a full VR lab for all the students and subjects in the school. Um, we'd want to make sure it's still tailored to science, but it actually like the the actual directive is basically how can we enable all teachers to to use VR? And this was around winter of basically 2019, so about a year ago, and. Uh, yeah, and so we set out to to do just that, which was create a VR lab t- that would serve all the teachers in the school, and 
um, enable as much learning as possible on all the different subjects. Which, if I can interject, yeah, I think yeah. that that is so key because often, you know, we get a champion in a school mm-hmm. and they tend to try and focus too much on their particular subject. Like sometimes I get, as a consultant, sometimes I get science teachers emailing me saying, how can I use VR, you know, just for science? And my advice to them is absolutely, we can use VR just for science, but, you know, it'll sit idle for some periods of time because just like any tool, whether it's an app on a phone or in this case, a super highly immersive experience machine, it's not meant to be used 24-7 within your class. Yeah. So spreading spreading the wealth within the school, like the science teacher might use it maybe once a week, but, you know, other teachers can use it then too. So I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and that's that's our entire goal is basically looking at how can we maximize usage? But also the really big thing is um, equity. Uh, I think that one of the other things that happens a lot of times with technology, with advanced new, new advanced technology in schools, is it will pop up in the technology class naturally. Mm. Um, and then maybe if like a science teacher is using it, sometimes they're the teacher, or I think more often than not, they're the teacher that teaches maybe the more advanced science class. Um, but that, but because of that, because most places, um, technology class is an optional elective and it kind of has self-selection. And then of course, if there's a more advanced science class, it's not, not all students have access to that. Uh, it means that not the, not everyone in the school is going to get access to the VR or to whatever the advanced technology is. Yes. So tell us more about like the setup of the lab and the hardware that you yeah. have in it how teachers book it for sure. So, yeah, so that was the next question is basically we had the go ahead to set up a VR lab. And then the question is, how do we, how do we do this? Um, and at that time there was kind of two things that were going for us. One is the, the big question was if you have a setup, for example, with either the Vive or the Oculus. Um, so we're, tr- so our, our goal is trying to make it so that an entire class of, 30, up to 30, 32 kids can come into the VR lab and use it as well, you know, with the most usage and ease of use possible. Um, for something like a wired VR headset, even if you got, uh, you know, like 10 of them, A, you're going to have logistical nightmares. Like, for example, if you had 10 Vives or even Oculus, because they have their own tracking things, you have to have 20 tracking devices that are all set up you have to have 10 desktops that are all running properly um like the logistical challenge is huge and so our the fortunate thing is that because it was already announced uh we knew that the quest was coming out and so we basically banked on the the idea that we weren't going to do any wired vr just because of the costs and logistical challenges of doing it would would be huge um and so yeah so we we planned on doing the the quest and then the goes were already out so we actually originally got a set of goes um that that we started just testing things out with um to to kind of do the the interim and that is is by far from a technology standpoint the best choice we made to to go with wireless 
because the the number of technical hiccups we would have ran into is astronomically lower when it's a kind of standalone device that doesn't have all these other problems. And then the other thing is the cost. So as I mentioned before, like these devices, which only, I mean, even the Quest only costs $400, $500 compared to a, a PC with a high-end graphics card and the other headsets. Um, it made it so that it was not prohibitively expensive, um, even like even for our school, which is just a public school, which doesn't have a lot of, of money. Um, and so that actually worked out really well on the equipment side. And then the other thing that worked out well is, and actually this is something that uh, other schools may be able to look into, which is we had to find a space for it, right? So mm -hmm. the other problem you have when you're trying to do something in schools is finding space in addition to money. And uh, we got this idea, which is, so our school, um, in terms of using computers, in the last few years has basically moved to entirely using Chromebook carts. So okay. they'll have about half the classrooms have a cart with 30 something Chromebooks in them so that all the kids can use them. And then teachers share carts between maybe two classrooms. And so from a computer standpoint, that's what kids use is, is the Chromebook carts. Yeah. Um, but for historical reasons, we still had a computer lab. Mm. Uh, it was just a computer lab that was full of uh, just desktop computers. And no, basically nobody used it because every, pretty much everything that the teachers would use computers for, the Chromebooks would suffice and it, they can already have them in their classroom. And so we had a computer lab that was sitting there doing nothing, which was actually a really big room that was already wired for technology and had really good internet and all that stuff. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up just removing everything from the computer lab. So creating a completely empty room and it worked surprisingly well. Like we then had all this space to transform into a VR lab um, that was already ready. And, and not only that, but the kind of the added bonus is the teachers that have been at the school for a while had already had this thought in mind of, I have this system for taking my kids to the computer lab mm. so they can use a lot of those kind of techniques that they were doing to bring their classes to the VR lab, which was in the exact same physical location. Yeah. So um, how many, how many yeah. quests are there 30 quests that are part of this standalone VR lab? Good question. So then the, then we just had to figure out how many we could fit. Um, because the quest needs a, 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 uh, decently sized radius. I think we ended up using the radius of the, so within the quest, you can select the, um, sitting sta standing boundary, um, yeah. which is a nice, a nice kind of medium sized space that will allow you to do pretty much every app you would need to do. Um, so we, we started marking off, um, circles that size, they're four feet that it turns out that's four feet in diameter and figuring out how many four foot diameter um, circles we can have with a little bit of buffer. And basically what we found is that even with this large room, 34 foot circles is like a huge, a huge amount of circles. And we didn't have enough space for that, but we did have enough space to do uh, 16 circles along with a nice big area with uh, where kids who are not currently using VR can uh, work on something. And so we basically set it up so that even with a class of up to 32 kids, the teachers can have half the kids using VR, 
and then the other half working on either a worksheet or doing a discussion and then have them switch, um, yeah. which actually works out. It works out well. So our, our school has about 40, 40 to 45 minute periods and it's enough. Like it, it's definitely enough exposure for a kid to be able to do VR for 20 minutes, um, 15, 20 minutes, uh, that they really get a lot of benefit from it. And it allows teachers to bring a, bring a class and let everyone do VR in one period. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've been doing work for with springboard VR is uh-huh. lesson guides that give kids sort of a, before you go into the headset questions and, uh, things to ruminate on. And then after you exit the VR experience, there are additional sort of conceptual type questions that allow kids to reflect on what just happened. You know, why did that happen? And so, you know, in that model, you don't necessarily need to have the whole entire class in VR at the same time. Absolutely. And that actually, um, We've, we even found, so when we were first, uh, some of the first classes that came in, we, the teacher created a similar thing to that for whichever uh, activity they were actually doing. And those pre and post questions um, work really well because it makes it so that even, even a short VR experience of like 10 minutes, they're thinking about something going in, then they have the experience and it's valuable, and then they're reflecting on it. Um, so yeah, so we even have teachers, that's actually what we recommend to teachers is if you can make a worksheet or find a worksheet, um, that has a pre, a thing, thing for the students to think about going in, then something for them to do. And then a bunch of reflections after, uh, it's worked really great for, for the teachers that have done that in our VR lab. What are some content pieces that are popular at the, in the VR lab with the quest? Yeah, so so the content part's really interesting because, and actually with a lot of this VR lab stuff, we had what we thought was going to happen going into it, and then what's actually happened so far. Um, <laughs> with content, we still have we've we've tried a, an array of things, but I think there's a lot more more things we want to try. But what we found is um, the original thought before we even had any teachers or students use the lab, we had this plan, which was to basically aim for the highest quality, most interactive content. Um, try to, you know, get, get focus on that, have students do that and, you know, try to make it so that they had these like perfect, these, you know, what we thought of was going to be perfect experiences. And then just like any, any good uh, testing, what actually happened was really interesting. So what happened is I think the second teacher that wanted to use the lab was studying it was she was a um social studies teacher or history teacher and they were studying cave paintings in this one specific cave um, i think it was the lascaux caves in france and she'd found online a vr video of the actual cave mm. um so the video itself is actually many years old it's a pretty low quality video but it is a 360 video in the actual cave that they had been reading about for like a month. Yep. And it was interesting because we had this conundrum, which is going into it, we had this this thought that, you know, we're going to aim for only using, you know, top quality content that's very interactive. Um, and we want that to be what kids do first because this is the first time she's bringing her kids to the lab. But for the sake of trying to see what, or, you know, 
make the lab work and and have the lab work for the teachers that we're we're serving, we were like, let's let's try this out and use it as a test. And so we had the kids come in and they watched this video. It's literally only two minutes long. It's like potato quality. It even has the first 15 seconds like spins for some reason. I think it's actually because it's meant to be viewed on a screen to get you to flick the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we thought it was going to be a disaster. Um, but she made this beautiful worksheet like what you did, which is where she had kids ask. She had the kids think about what they're going to see. Look, like They used the app. They looked for certain cave paintings. They went back. They wrote about it. Then they actually went into the VR again, looked for more cave paintings, and then wrote about how it felt and everything. And surprisingly, it actually worked phenomenally well. Mm. So the the second the kids went into the cave, the fact that, and they were told it was the same, and it was literally the same cave they'd been reading about, and they can't go to France, so they would never have seen this cave in, in school. Um, they, the, the feeling of being there and the present, like the power of the presence of VR. And I think because it was on, it was actually on the goes because we hadn't even had the quests set up at that point. Um, but the, both of them have such high quality screens and good enough field of visions that, um, that there is some of that immersion. And then I think the other thing going into it that we didn't expect was how powerful middle schoolers imaginations are. Mm. So I think for adults, when we try VR, we're much pickier and it takes a lot more to wow us. But for middle school students, um, especially middle school students that don't have a lot of experience with VR, because th these, these classes, um, a lot of these kids haven't tried VR and, and can't afford VR. Um, the power of even something simple, especially because it's relevant, really worked. And so like that VR app or that VR video um, had a lot of kids really amazed and, and they were legitimately excited. Every single one wanted to come back and it had really enriched that very specific topic the teacher was teaching, um, which made it a win all around. That is a great story to play devil's advocate. Do you think yeah. over time, do you think over time when they continue to use VR that, the bar needs to be raised for them? It's a fascinating question, right? So so we have to, that's that's the thing, that was the next thought we had, which was, do, is this kind of the novel, like how much is, of this is novelty? Yes. Um, and so, yeah, and so I think there's there's a few ways to, to dissect it, which is, um, one of the, so I think, I think, I think one thing, one thing that we, and then, and then since then we've tried other kind of not top tier apps, but it has, it's, we've seen similar things. Um, we haven't tried it enough to really know, and we haven't had enough kids come back enough to know, but I would say that one of the kind of one of the ways to look at it is if you look at what they would have been doing otherwise. So for the cave painting, for example, they would probably be looking at pictures on a book or on a screen, um, yeah. just pictures of the cave. And like, that's what they're doing most of all day, every day. Right. And so while some of the novelty is the fact they get to use VR, a big part of it is what they would be doing otherwise for the same lesson. 
And so there is a lot of value, even if it's not high quality, and even if it's not interactive, of the fact that there's that immersive presence. So it goes back to what kind of what makes VR so effective compared to really any other technology is this psychological thing that humans have, which is when we put on a headset, our brains get tricked into thinking we're actually there. Yeah. Um, and like, and yeah, and I think it's, it's one of the reasons why you can't describe someone how VR feels. You have to have them try it. Yes. Um, and so, and, and the thing is that trick, even if you were to heck look at like a 360 photo, kind of the lowest bar you could possibly have, that trick still works. Um, and so kind of that minimum bar is effective. And that trick is definitely more effective at getting a kid to feel transported than if they just were to ha- be lectured on what it's like in the cave, right? Or even just see a picture on the cave because neither yeah. of those are going to give that trick. I um, agree. And in fact, if ahead. we think about if we think about this experience, you know, obviously the next level of immersion would be to have them actually using controllers, be able to pick things pick things up that, that are in the cave. Maybe there's a rock on the ground that has one of the cave drawings and they actually pick up that rock and look at it or they could throw things in the cave cave makes sounds like a real cave yeah so and all that's really interesting because actually the other perspective i have is even in the last uh, basically in the last five years what i spent all of my time doing is trying to design software and apps uh for helping kids basically interactively learn math. And so this, this, I spend every day trying to think about this, which is how much, how do you make interactive interactivity effective and how can it add value? Um, And I think that down the road and eventually we will have more quality interactive things. But what's interesting is if you look at how technology is currently used in education kind of where it's gotten mass adoption. Um, Unfortunately, and it's kind of just the reality of it, is that even in mediums where there could be much more interaction and much more uh, activity, the way technology ends up actually getting adopted is usually kind of the lowest bar. So for example, kind of the biggest adoption recently is computers, where now most schools have have lots of computers in them. Um, And if you look at how teachers actually use computers, computers could have lots of highly interactive uh, activities and and, um, things that students do. But if you actually look at, and I think if we were 20 years ago talking about this discussion about computers instead of VR, we would be saying like, why don't people do more? I think we'd be saying we need to do interactive things to make these computers work. But you skip ahead to the present day, and honestly, a huge percentage of what teachers or teachers and students do on computers is is kind of uh, more of kind of the basic level of what computers are capable of. So there's a lot of word processing, um, maybe looking at static images, um, maybe watching a video, but even some of the most popular education videos are basically someone writing on a board. Um, Even computers, which are capable of so much more, have the way they actually got adopted in education 
they get adopted. They're not really used interactively. I agree. It's not transformative. Yeah. Um, which is where so, it comes down to, it'd be nice if we could have things adopted transformatively, but it's, it is an advantage that they're actually used because the other alternative is just not have it used at all. And so hopefully we'll see a, a VR be adopted interactively, but if it gets adopted at all, the first step would just to be get it adopted to be used kind of at its bare minimum, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think part, and it's just my humble opinion. Yeah. Part of the reason that we're looking for the lowest hanging fruit is we're not using it for the right kind of learning. So many teachers instinctively try and think of using the tool for facts or, you know, knowledge. Whereas yeah. my, my opinion is, especially VR, what's the big idea? What's the concept, you know, behind all those facts? Like what connects those facts together? What's the, you know, is it, is it systems? So if it's systems that we're sort of wanting them to kind of walk away with the sort of big idea, then let's use VR to get them to understand systems or, you know, balance or identity. For example, there's quite a few off the shelf VR applications that get kids to, uh, chew on or lean into the concept, the big idea of identity. And then let's go back to the classroom or possibly the textbook or maybe the worksheet to get them to make that connection. But VR is magical because it's so experience-like. It's almost like a field trip. If we go on a field trip, like you said, there's field trips. The whole point to the field trip isn't to, uh, you know, multiply fractions. That's not the point. If you're a math teacher, you take people on a field trip to experience bigger connections to the real world. And too many, sorry, I'm on a soapbox here. Too many people no, are trying. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. They're trying to connect VR in, you know, science, for example, like biology. I see VR experiences where people go into VR and they see the heart, but from a 360 point of view. And that's okay. Like you said, kind of like, the cave example, there's nothing wrong with that. Is it more powerful than seeing the heart in a textbook? Absolutely. But what if, you know, we had a whole bunch of, you know, we had a patient on a table and there was, they, you know, they were, something was wrong with them and we had to figure that out and it was relating to the heart. I think that's where VR needs, like that's sort of where people who are content developers need to start thinking of using using VR because VR can do that, whereas no other medium can do something like that. Absolutely. And I think from a, the, the pessimistic realism side, real like oh, pessimistic side is the only adopting it for kind of its bare, bare usage. But hopefully I think that, and I really do that as, like you said, with VR, the power of it is, it could be the first technology that trans, it trans is so transformative that it actually gets um, enables educators to have the kind of full rich experiences that I think other mediums of technology have been able to offer, but it never really picked up. But the power of VR could make it the medium that actually allows it to 
truly add interactive technology into education. Yes. Have you heard of Ricky's Plank Experience? Yes. So, you know, there's a good example. There, with, there, there are people, the naysayers out there that say there's nothing educational about that. And I would argue that that experience with the right frame of mind and creativity and innovation can absolutely be used in the classroom. You know, for example, you could measure heart rate as someone goes up, up the elevator and, and I, I can't step on the plank, but maybe step along <laughs> the plank. You know, we, we could measure the effect on their heart rate. You know, there's so, yeah. there's so many, there's so many off the shelf experiences that I firmly believe are educational. We just aren't yeah. using the right, the right lens. Absolutely. And that's, and I think the, the other reason this is so interesting is that this is the exact discussion. I feel like education technology has been having, um, about a bunch of different mediums over time. Mm. Um, right. I think that was, it's the same way with uh, soft computer software where there's, it was, it was a big part of it was trying to piece together how to get to enable, enable teachers to find, I mean, but it's, I think there's all these challenges that, that always need to be addressed, right. Which is how do you enable teachers to use the software in a way that fits their class, but also, and also doesn't take too much time, um, and is and uh, doesn't you know? Then there's a the technical side of not running into problems and all that. Uh, but what's yeah? And so I think we have to, and I think that's always a layer that's present because this is still a technology that's used in schools. And then there's this extra layer of what else? What can VR add and its added benefits combined with? Actually, the irony is it solves a few of the the problems that traditional technology like a screen has, which is a well-designed VR app is actually more intuitive than even using a computer. Right. Yes. Um, I mean, a great example is the cave thing you were saying, like if, if you had a, a quest cave app and there was a rock on the floor, it's very intuitive how to pick up the rock. You don't have to know if you have to like press WASD to move forward. You just lean down and grab the rock with your hand. Um, and so there's a huge amount of advantages that VR has in usability in addition to obviously its biggest advantages, which is the power of the physiological and psychological response that the user has. Yes. You know, there are some VR apps that I've trialed too, where, you know, at the end inside VR, they want to give me a, a quiz or a test. And again, I, I don't agree with that because that's not what VR was meant for is to have something two dimensional, like a set of questions. I can do that outside of VR. Yeah. Um, so totally actually to the point where I think that reminds me of the funniest or the, the my biggest qualms with this one math game years and years ago, which was, it was a first person shooter where the actual math game was all just running around shooting people but then if you died, you had to answer a, uh, basically like a standardized quest, standardized um, test math question in order to come back to life. And then you go around shooting people again. So there's a VR game like that. I'm laughing because uh, yeah. uh, uh, I had my wife try it. And then my, 
uh, grade 12 son, my 17 year old son, because I wanted their opinion too. And, you know, they were like, I don't get this. Like, what, what's the point to this? Why is this in VR? So I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I know the exact app that you're talking about. And uh, I, I, I agree with you in regards to the efficacy of, of that and why that is good VR learning. So. Yeah, no, and I think I think I, I know the one you're talking about, the VR one. I was actually, which is shows you the irony of how the ed tech system works. I was actually talking about an app that came out like ten years ago for computers. Okay. Yeah. Um, that actually, and I know the 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 shooting math one right now. I think you have some issues with shooting in schools, and there's a few other problems with it. This one, literally, there's actually nothing related to math in the game itself. Um, you just only had to answer a math question when you died. And it was just like a, but it was like what you said, which is it pops up a question on the screen and then you just have to choose a multiple choice value and then it, it, it shoots you back in. So the irony is a lot of these problems that we're talking about are problems with that education technology developers have been facing for decades, right? Um, and I think we haven't figured those out yet, which is why it's interesting then applying it to VR because so education technology hasn't been figured out how to help kids learn. That's what my my whole mission has been, regardless of VR. And then ironically, actually, VR developers haven't even like the VR game developers not related to education. They haven't finished finished or like fully figured out how to maximize using VR yet either, especially because it's so powerful and different than traditional screens. Um, and so with education VR, you have two different groups which all which both haven't figured it out yet coming together to try to tackle this basically compounded problem so what wisdom would you give them let's say they listen to this what perils of wisdom would you give them to to try and solve this that's a great question so the the debate one thing that's actually super important is that um you have to understand both challenges. So the education side is the one I've been focusing on for, for years. And I by no means have solved it or have figured things out completely. But there's definitely over the years of spending time as a teacher and watching uh, kids learn and spending time understanding what kids struggle with, uh, there's a lot of nuance in how to help, basically how to help students understand. But then I think the biggest challenge with the education side is that in general, our ultimate goal with as education developers is to do exactly what you had mentioned before, which is to move technology beyond being used for the lowest common denominator. Um, that would be a big win for, for developers if you can actually develop something that isn't just um, effectively a digital form of paper um, mm. which even actually I myself years ago pitched a startup, which was literally to like create a digital form of paper. Um, that's, that's what a lot of, of technology is right now. And so if we can figure out a way to move past that to make something that's interactive and rich, um, but then of course the hardest part is how does it actually help kids learn? So the interactive and rich are kind of the levers we can pull, but we have to figure out how to help kids learn. Um, all of that's really hard. And that doesn't even include the fact that can be in any medium, not just VR. Um, on the VR side, we have to figure out kind of what what works well in VR, considering the technology now, and then also as it as it evolves. 
Um, I think that's so in 2016, we really had very little ideas of how to do that. Um, the last three years, more stuff has bubbled up that works well. Um, ironically, uh, what mechanics work well in VR is a really interesting one. For example, I think one of the biggest things Beat Saber did was it introduced the mechanic of being able to like swipe at things and yeah. and move your hand like that. And that that mechanic actually worked really well. For reference, compared to throwing things like still to this day throwing things in vr for whatever reason is just clunky and doesn't work slash is a really dangerous because if someone doesn't have their wrist strap on they could throw their controller <laughs> um and so like there's little things we're learning like that like which mechanics work um and then we're also learning about like locomotion is another good example so in our vr lab and actually this is another thing for anyone who's listening who has uh is trying to implement the, a vr lab we mistakenly, when we first started, didn't we underestimated how bad um, nausea and motion sickness would could be, and so we we would have uh, apps that were very aligned to a lesson. So one teacher was um, teaching about Mecca, and we found this app where you actually got to be in a reproduction of Mecca and walk around. Um, so it was very aligned, and he was very excited about it. When I when you first tested it, we did notice like you're walking really fast and you're just like moving using traditional locomotion, so it's super nauseating. But I think no one stopped and was like, "Wait, this is nauseating. No matter how applicable it is, we need to just cut it." And hmm. no one said that. And so we 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 ran it with some classes, and then when the classes came back in, we got this feedback, which is, "I don't want to do the VR lab because I'm feeling nauseous." And we realized all of them had done that one app where you're constantly walking forward really fast. And it made us realize that there's basically a threshold where if, if the app could cause physical nausea or discomfort for a decent number of students, like you're always going to have a really small number that probably aren't comfortable with most, or they might not be comfortable with things. But if, if it seems at all like it's going to cause physical distress, um, it's not worth it because the just like the VR is powerful for good. I think the if anyone who's had Haja in VR knows it can also be really negative. And so uh, that's obviously, and I think on the VR developer side, that's another big thing that's come around in the last few years is figuring out locomotion. Um, it's super other, important to get it right. Yeah. I mean, the other lesson that for teachers out there is kind of like, you know, when people were using videos or, you know, maybe the odd movie in their classroom is the golden rule is you've, you've got to preview it first before you curate it and give it to kids. Exactly. And then you have and, to think about what lens you're previewing it. And sometimes teachers don't have that kind of time. I mean, that's that's part of my consulting job with Springboard is I, I get to preview and and curate a bunch of their apps so that uh, it's gone through sort of a filter first before we put it on uh, Springboard's website. Yeah. Um, one thing we actually found from a logistics standpoint that works very well for our lab for previewing um, and also for getting the teachers excited about the lab is we got a set, in addition to the set that we use of head of quests that we use in our actual lab, we got an extra, um, 
smaller set that we uh, have is effectively for lending out to teachers so that if a teacher wants to use the VR lab, we'll lend them, we'll, we'll actually what we do is we first have them come to the lab, we talk to them, answer their questions, let them try VR, but then we lend them a headset, um, especially if they don't have their own. And we let them go home and in their own comfort, like the comfort of their own home, they get to try it out. Um, we include all of the apps that they would use in, in addition to, they get access to some games that the kids aren't allowed to. And, uh, and I think it lets them be more comfortable with the headset, but then also it lets them try out the, the app themselves to, to some degree um, so that they can know what's, be more comfortable with, with it and also kind of decide what's working. That's a great idea. What, what, what are some questions when teachers come just to sort of scope out and, and discover a bit more about VR? What are some common questions that they ask? Yeah, that's a great question. So kind of the way it works is that usually, a, so we had these these great few, I, I call them champions. So like champions of the lab, which are the very first teachers that tried the, the VR lab. They basically start, they loved it so much, they started telling other teachers. So kind of the teacher often first hears it from another teacher, which that teacher will kind of, Get, tell them somewhat about what they did and then the teacher will come in and I think the questions range a lot based off of the teacher's um, logistical style in their classroom and I think that's actually one of the reasons why it works really well for um, a teacher to bring and effectively run run it as their class um, in 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 the VR lab which again goes back to teachers that have had computer labs they had a system for how they want to do it and so teachers will some teachers will be very interested in the logistics like when do i have my kids put the headsets on what are the rules we actually have created rules over the the time of having the lab where we basically in a classic like trying something new as something went wrong we would write it up on the board uh the big ones being like if you're feeling sick stop using it uh also we oh, one other logistics thing is we actually have all the kids sitting in chairs mm. specifically because uh, even though you can use the quest standing up uh there'd be a lot more safety and kind of possible nausea falling over problems yeah. and even though personally i don't like using my quest in a chair it still works just 95 percent as well and it solves a lot of school and teacher concerns so it solves a lot of the safety and also reduces nausea most of the time, unless a kid spins in a chair, which is why one of the rules is don't spin really fast. Um, <laughs> we literally then, had to add that. And the chairs are sitting already in those circles that you have on the floor, right? Exactly. So we, we got swivel chairs. So that's the key thing, right? So teach kids that to look behind them because they're used to just looking at a 2D screen. So there's swivel chairs so you can look around. But then the key thing we did is we removed the wheels. So they're extremely immobile. Perfect. Um, and then we put them each in the center of, and we took uh, like bright orange duct tape, which actually eventually we're going to look at some kind of rug or some specific thing. But basically we mark off on the floor, the circle or, or hexagon for each zone so that each kid kind of knows that's their zone. No one else can go into their, no one else should go into their zone. Um, the first rule actually, which was the first thing that came up is, you know, they're middle schoolers. They're going to want to mess with each other. Um, 
we've actually had uh, oh so so yeah so the rule is you're not supposed to mess with each other and actually that's one of the first things teachers usually ask is this um, kind of every teacher knows that classroom management is a big concern uh, and then especially when you have middle schoolers and so one of the things teachers are often concerned about is you know I ha they'll say you know I have this one period that misbehaves a lot how are they going to do in the VR lab and going in we were kind of worried like maybe the misbehaving kids they'll actually, you know, it's going to be exacerbated by being in a VR lab. Um, but then the first time we tested it, we tested it with two different classes, one class that doesn't misbehave very often, another class that misbehaved a lot. It was actually the tech teacher's classes that we were trying in the first place. And uh, we were, like, overwhelmingly surprised that the class that misbehaved a lot, when we let them, when we had them do the full VR experience, we saw the best behavior we'd ever seen with that class. Wow. Um, basically, a lot of the misbehavior is kids having energy and wanting to do things and wanting more effectively more stimulation. And when we gave them VR, it was their outlet for that. Yeah. Um, and I remember at the end of the period, like the, it was two minutes before the bell rang and all the kids were sitting there quiet. And the te teacher and I were like, wait, what are they doing? They're actually quiet of like just sitting there. And this is the <laughs> normally the misbehaving class. And so one thing we found is that uh, if anything, actually more of our problems come from the classes that in a traditional classroom setting are more well-behaved and that the teachers whose classes are not as behaved in, in the actual classroom, uh, their periods, not like within the same teacher, the, the period that's not as well-behaved um, often is, is, more engaged in the VR lab uh, and and has a great time. So I think that that's most teachers ask about that, and that's something that teachers are pleasantly surprised about. So to book the VR lab, is it an online booking system? That's a good question. That's something that we're we're still finalizing um, because right now uh, we basically just have a kind of more informal emailing system, um, but we're actually looking at the way they used to book the computer lab. It'll probably end up being some type of shared calendar, probably even a Google calendar. Um, yeah. And then enabling teachers to basically sign up for the periods that, that it's not in use. Which subject disciplines are using it more than others right now? Yeah. Great question. So the, what we've actually found is that, Social studies slash history um, is one of the most active ones, uh, subjects that's using it, primarily because as we were like, for example, the caves was was a, a, a history class. Um, the there's there's often really specific ones. I think I think one of the advantages is they have so many different things on their curriculum that can be applicable. Um, for example, they for like the Apollo 11 one that could be science, but it's probably going to end up being social studies that goes and sees it. Uh, there's the Anne Frank one is really powerful. So for history slash language arts. Um, and then, so the, the social, the history teachers are using it for that. Language arts is interesting because basically if they can find something that's applicable to the topic they're talking about or writing about, um, one teacher was writing about Martin Luther King, and so we had their classes go to Traveling While Black, 
Yeah, um, and that, that was extremely that powerful. Yeah, that um, one's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and actually to to for food for thought, one thing that I keep coming back to is that one is also technically only 3 off and not interactive. Um right? So it's it's just a video, but it's extremely powerful because of the human connection that that it kind of yeah, enables. but highly highly conceptual though, or highly conceptual. Yeah, Again, absolutely. Like it's not making you, you know, here, look at this, uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. language arts in general is very thematic or concept based anyway. So, yeah. And then uh, science, there's, uh, we've had uh, lots of science teachers using it also. There's powerful stuff uh, like relating to chemistry and going into the atoms. Um, the space station the, on the Quest, well, the space station's on both of them, but especially the Quest's ISS one is amazing because um, you get to move around the space station. And so, yeah, so there's lots of science content. And then the irony of all this is that my background and all of my interest is in math. And for the Quest specifically, there are actually zero math apps. And then for the overall ecosystem, there's a very small handful, one of which is the one you're mentioning. And so there isn't any, so, so I, I work with the math teachers and I always feel bad because they have nothing um, to use. But what I'm work, when I'm not working on the VR lab, my actual, my other project and my main project is to develop my own math VR app that helps kids learn math using VR. Are you able to talk a bit about what that might look like? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the app is based off of what I've seen and, and worked with kids over the years. And one of the big areas they struggle is with fractions. Um, and one of the, the problems is they get very bogged down in the numerical numbers of fractions and just don't understand conceptually what they are. And so one of the best representations of fractions is if you have an object uh, just, and you're trying to take, for example, one third of the object, how do you do that? And so the app itself, the, 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 the VR app that I'm building is where you're a lumberjack and logs are coming at you and you have one in each hand, giant axes. And then the log will say, for example, it'll say one third on it and you have to chop the log to as close to one third as you can. So there's no markings on the log. You have to figure out what one third is. Oh, I um, love that. I love that thanks. idea. Yeah. Uh, and so it's exactly what we're talking about. So it's interactive and provides instant feedback of trying to figure out what the fractions are but it's super low stakes. There's just log after log coming at you. I'm actually going to design it to have a, an adaptive learning algorithm where as you go, if you start getting a lot right, it's going to feed you harder questions. If you're struggling, it keeps it more accessible and, and slower. Um, and you'll just have kids chopping logs and learning fractions. Sam, that's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you know, and it, you could think of pizza, right, and cutting pizzas yeah. up. What a great idea. Thanks. Yeah. So I've been, I actually already have a prototype of it and I'm working on, on building the full one out and I've been testing it with kids and, and yeah, they absolutely love it. And it definitely pushes their experience with fractions beyond what they traditionally get to, to try. They might even have to break a sweat too. That's the idea. I mean, not, uh, of course, one of the, one of the, influences of this app is my favorite uh vr app which is beat saber so mm. i've been i've i 
played a lot of Beat Saber, and it's it's always a, it's always one of my go to ways of getting exercise and also having fun. Yeah. Um. Anything else? Like, what are some other goals either for you personally besides this great app that you've developed, this great VR app, or maybe goals for your VR lab at the school moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that um, basically we start. We've started to learn stuff. Um, we've we started just this school year to having 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 teachers uh, do the the lab and we've we've had some of the discoveries like i mentioned um but i think there's still a lot left to learn um in terms of what's actually working and then really i think what matters is kind of our goal is to figure out how do we set up this lab so that it i think basically what i've learned over the years especially in education is if you can get retention um of any kind that's that's the hardest thing so you can get it so that it becomes a habit so that teachers use it consistently and it's not just using it while it's novel. So really our ultimate goal for the lab is if we can make it so that it becomes, you know, a part of the school that stays around for years. Mm. Um, and so part of that too is to, uh, continue to figure out what's out there, um, meet with other people that are working in VR and, and including other developers. Um, we'd be happy to, to test out their their apps in our lab because we basically any no matter what subject it is we can find you teachers that that teach that um but if we can find the content and the system and methods that make it so the lab sustains and kind of becomes one of those technologies that actually stays around in education which are very few um i think that would be a really big win with the lab and then yeah and then as 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 the lab moves forward towards that i'm going to keep focusing my time on building the actual content that helps kids learn um starting with this this vr app for learning mm. math so that when and then and, and again i think the quest is the key to it too which is going forward because of the logistical challenges and cost challenges of the other vr applications for education specifically the quest is the way to go and so my goal is to have the my math app on the quest and i think that um other VR education developers hopefully can get more content on the quests for, for kids to learn on it. So for the quest, I have one uh, personal one. Plus my school has a few. Mm -hmm. Some listeners probably may not understand how content is put on the quest. And so can you talk about that? Just so listeners who don't have a quest might have an idea. How do you, how do you access content if you have an Oculus Quest? That's a great question. So it's actually I think the and and we 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 explain this to teachers too when they when we're trying to explain the technology. I think actually the easiest framework for the people to understand is kind of like think about it like their mobile phone, uh, smartphone specifically. So the smartphone has an app store. So it's either the App Store or Google Play Store. And you go to the App Store, you download the app, um, and then you download the app and it's on your device, and then you just launch it from your device, right? Um, and so that ecosystem is still, is the ecosystem for smartphones, and it's definitely the ecosystem for Quests, uh, or for Quests and other mobile mobile VR, um, which means that the the apps itself is, is control, is, uh, 
controlled by the, the company that owns the platform. So the Oculus case, that's Facebook. Um, and they, they vet and approve the apps. And then once you download it, you can run the, it, you don't even need internet access once it's on there. If it's, if it's not an internet app, you just run the, the app itself off of the device, just like with your smartphone where you can run a, an app, even if you don't have internet access. So the Oculus store where you can get virtual reality apps has some stuff on there, but you know, for example, the cave experience that you talked about, that's not in the Oculus store. Did you still put it onto <laughs> the quest? So that, yeah. So now you're talking, so, so how to do content that's not an, basically how to do content in general is a huge thing. And then, and also, that what I described is also how to do a quest for an individual, but then you have this problem of how do you have a group of students all run the same app? So for start, okay, so for the for the the caves example, that's actually a, what what sparked all of this. So that one's a video, and if it's a video, you have a few options. You can there's there's a few video players that are native on the quest, so it has its own YouTube VR app. There's another one called Samsung VR Videos, which actually turns out to be the one that had the caves video we found. Um, of course, YouTube VR, if you're in schools, you run into another problem, which is your YouTube is probably filtered. Mm. Um, and for some reason, our school's filter filters out New York Times. I don't know <laughs> why. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, so you can watch a, if it's a video. That, and that's actually the other reason why... Uh, a lot of, especially if, if I guess school was adopting a VR lab this year and was trying to get it to all their, you know, have all subjects be able to use it, a, a decent chunk of what they're going to do is still going to be 360 video because the pure number of pieces of content for, of, th of 360 videos versus native actual apps is drastically different. So actual apps, the total is in the probably hundreds ballpark and the total educational ones is in the tens ballpark whereas 360 videos you have thousands hmm. you, you even have thousands that are have some educational value so you can play those off of the the 360 players within the basically effectively like you open a youtube app on your phone you can open a, a video app on the quest it also has a browser but generally you don't need to do that um you can do it. You can actually like do it through YouTube. But the problem is, how do you navigate it? So that's something we're still figuring out. I think that's there's a few people trying to figure that out. Is if there was a way, the ultimate goal is if there's a way to press a button and have all the kids go to the same app at the same time. That's the ideal um, way of deploying it. Also, I often get questions from teachers about. Uh, Inter, in, sorry, intellectual property rights. So here's an example. I remember when I was teaching in the 90s, uh, I was sort of just starting out and I saw this amazing movie, this great Hollywood movie. And I went to go show it with my class and my principal came in and said, you can't show Hollywood movies, Craig, to all your students in a class. We, we don't have the intellectual property rights to show them to mass amount of kids. So... How does does that not work the same way when it comes to if I'm if I own a quest and I download an app or game, mm -hmm. is 
the intellectual property for just that? Like, can you show it to masses, amounts of people? That's a really interesting question. Um, I personally don't have enough experience in law to answer it from a legal standpoint. Um, I would say I, the, I think the one thing that I wonder is whether the Hollywood one was because it was a specific law for that because people would do like illegal showings and charge money for it and kind of were mm -hmm. trying to undercut movie studios. Um, whereas VR, I think, is much more based off of the precedents that started effect, basically the same. It really, I think, it has similar precedents as to mobile apps. And effectively, if you buy the mobile app, it's expected that the user of that account can can use it. So um, I don't know what the legal issues specifically are, but um, okay, I, didn't, I, I didn't know that it's, yeah. I didn't mean to open up Pandora's box there. It's just, a, yeah, yeah, but it's an interesting question. Well, and I think it, what it highlights is also so that that's the other thing with technology. You'll, you'll get people bringing up like 10 reasons you can't use it often to the point where you, if you can't get through those 10 hurdles, you never even start talking about the reasons to use it. Um, and unfortunately that's often what ends up happening. Right. Good point. Anything else you think listeners might want to know before we wrap up? Yeah, um, I think so. I think the one interesting thing is there's a lot of technology that the, basically there's technology that comes and goes, and there's a lot of new exciting things in the technology world. But very, very rarely does a technology actually get adopted by education. Um, I mean, you could even argue that really the only two major technologies that education has ever adopted was first the TV. Um, and then there was the push to put TVs in every classroom, the thought that TVs would change education. And then there was computers, which eventually got pushed to have as many computers as possible. Um, but there were all these other technologies that appeared in the world outside of the schools, but never really made it into schools. Um, and what I think is interesting, based off of what so far with the VR lab and kind of how powerful and different VR is, is VR or some form of VR slash AR slash uh, one of those kind of a, an amalgamation of those could be the next platform to actually get mass adoption in schools um, just because it's so tailor-made for education because education's goal has always been to try to transport kids to somewhere else and try to let them experience things, but they're restricted to these four walls or pay on this expensive field trip that is only you're limited where you can go. Um, so because it aligns so well with that goal of education, transforming students and letting them have experiential things. Um, it, it, there's, I think, I think it has a, a decent shot at being the next mass adopted technology. Having said that, it'll be really hard and take a lot of people, a lot of work to actually get it there. But it's exciting that it it has such a powerful potential. Yeah, and having people like you who understand that it should be interactive and experiential. Like I said, I love your fraction experience, and I think I think you Thanks. you totally you totally get it. And you know, hopefully, more people listen to sort of podcasts like this where 
developers perk up their ears and realize that, you know, it's not about the low-hanging fruit. It's more about VRs for experiential uh, learning. Yeah, absolutely. That would, if, even, if it, even if one developer learns that from this, then we, we had an impact. Sam, how could people get a hold of you if they had more questions about your lab or maybe even your app? Yeah, so I think the best thing for now is we have a kind of a landing page for the lab, and I actually check the email that it, it sends to, so that would be a way to get in touch with me too. Um, so the it's a website. It's Bayside VR, so B-A-Y-S-I-D-E-V-R dot org. So if Beautiful. they go to BaysideVR.org, um, there's a contact us thing and they can, or it has an email address and they can send me an email through that. Wonderful. If you hold on for a minute after I stop the recording, we can sort of just uh, debrief for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Sam, for having, uh, uh, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on and for everything you do to help promote VR and education. No problem.